0: I think each year I focus on like, okay, God, what do you want from me from this year? How will I grow? How do you want to stretch me in new ways? Is there a verse or a word or a prayer? And I kept going back to 2 Corinthians four. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna journal through this verse. And three points came and they each had a vision or the word eyes or whatever, and I just, I didn't think anything of it and I asked God, okay, Lord, like let this be true of me. Guide this year by focusing on my gaze on you. That was January 9th, it went about my day, the kids started school, we were um, doing well and uh, my husband mentioned like, hey, you've been kind of like tripping over things lately and maybe you should get your eyes checked and we both kind of laughed because I've never had glasses in my life and I was like, okay, I guess it's just aging and so. Um, I made an eye appointment and got in January 16th. And so, you know, I started my appointment. She did the eye chart, 2020. Um, She started to do a peripheral test and she said, what number am I holding up? And I said, I don't even see your arm. As the appointment progressed, she got more and more concerned. Um, I finally was like, so what does all this mean? And she said, you know, you may either have a brain tumor or you are going blind. She carried on that, you know, blindness is the trajectory of this disorder called retinitis pigmentosa where your photoreceptors die in the back of your eye until you um, lose your peripherals. Basically it just closes into a tunnel until your tunnel closes. Um, So she said, you know, judging by what you have, you've got about 58% is already lost. I'm 35 years old, she's saying I could, you know, it'll progress relatively quickly and each appointment has basically been worse news and um, you know they thought maybe originally i would lose my sight in my 60s or 70s and and genetic testing and all these things have kind of fast-forwarded my timeline to my 40s if not by the time i turned 40. and so the days that followed that appointment were really overwhelming and heavy but at the same time like i felt so close with the lord and so sure of my purpose in this. My husband's one and my one that we've been praying for have both been impacted by my diagnosis. She came to my doorstep and said I read your blog and I don't understand how you can reconcile that there is a good God with what you're going through but I want to I wanna try to understand. So it's been so cool the fact that it's, we're only six months in at this point to the diagnosis and seeing the way God's drawing not only ourselves to Him, but people that we've been praying for for years to to see Him in a new way. There have been days where I'm like, this stinks. You know, I want to see my grandkids. I want to see my kids walk across the stage or walk down the aisle. But at the same time, like, God is a good God who does not withhold things from His children. And He's giving me something in the place of what's being taken that's far better than sight.
1: Well, we are in this series called Who's Your One, which is really about this idea that God has put somebody, at least one person, in every single one of our lives, with the objective of us getting the good news to them. In fact, Matthew twenty-eight, let me go to this passage right off the bat. This is Jesus marching order to his followers, to his disciples, to all of us. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son ways to the end of it, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so this is what we call the Great Commission. So the reason that any of us that are followers of Jesus are still on the planet is because we've got a message of good news. We've got a message of hope that we can offer people. And the Great Commission is for us to make disciples, like we said last week, one by one. And you know, last week I kind of introduced this this biblical kind of church term that we throw around sometimes called evangelism. And really, I tried to introduce the soft way of of, of, a soft metaphor, and that's like introducing somebody that you know uh, to somebody that you know and love, Jesus, right? Just introducing. I want to try to give you another metaphor this morning that's a little more dramatic. Um, It's it's like rescuing someone. Um, My my family and I, we moved here this summer from Springfield, Missouri, and so on my news feed and my social media, I still follow some things from, from, um, from Springfield. And so there was this, this news story that came across my feed this this week that just kind of like grabbed a hold of me. Uh, it was, it'll be on the screen here. It's about this, this uh, gentleman, this grandfather, who his two grandkids were having a hard time in the lake, keeping their heads afloat. And so Grandpa jumps in, rescues them, and in the midst of this, loses his life. You, you guys see these stories? And man, they they tear your heart out, right? And I see that and it breaks my heart. Um, but there's something that resonates within me. I see the story and I hate it. I hate it for those, those kids. But at the same time, you know what's cool for those kids? They will never doubt that they are loved, right? Because someone risked their life for them. Someone offered their life and rescued them. This is, this is kind of what we're talking about with evangelism. It's like being a... Rescuer. And I, I, I have no doubts that most of us in this room, if some of that we, we love, we saw them in danger, we would jump in to help, right? We wouldn't think about our safety or our well being. We would, we would jump in, we would act, we would help, we would do whatever we could. We would put their need above our own, and we would have a sense of urgency, right? This is, this is to, to, to rescue. But when, when, when a rescue occurs like this, you know what they don't say about this grandfather? They don't say, well, he prevented two deaths, right? They don't focus on the death. They focus on what? The life. He saved a life. He saved their lives. This is the focus of a rescue. So to give rescue or to provide rescue is all about giving life. It's to give life. And you know, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about him being our savior, right? You know what another term for that is? He's our rescuer. He is the one that comes after us and offers his life to take someone who is as good as dead and to give us life. And this is rescue. In fact, John 10, verse 10, Jesus himself says these words, so powerful. He says, the thief, talking about the enemy, the devil, says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He's focused on death. But Jesus says, I've come to give life so that you may have life and have it abundantly, to the full, overflowing. I've come to rescue you, not just to pull you out of death, but to give you life, life to the full. And you know, sometimes um, when we think about sharing our faith, Maybe, maybe, I don't know, if, you, if you've been in church world for a while, one of the ways that we would present our faith, there was a question that you would ask. You know what it was? If you die tonight, where would you go? Right? You recognize that? You know what the focus is there? Man, I'm going to try to keep you from death. And that's not a bad thing. But Jesus didn't say, hey, I, I came to keep you from going to hell. You know what he said I came for? I came to give you life full life this is what I came for this is the purpose for my coming and let me ask you a question this morning okay because sometimes we forget this we forget why Jesus came but I want to ask you this question do you really believe that there is life in Jesus do you believe that Because if we really believe that, if you really believe that, if I really believe that, we've got to give it away, y'all. We've got to give it away if we really believe there is life in Jesus. And so I want to introduce you this morning to uh, a new mission statement for our church. It's something we've been working through. I've worked through with our staff and our deacons. And if you were here last week, you may recognize part of this. And I want to introduce you to it. This is the reason that we exist as a church. We exist as a church to help people find full life in Christ, in community, and mission. We exist to help others find full life in Christ, community, and mission. So there's a couple implications here. One is that we really believe that life can be found in Jesus. Amen? And that we found it, we've been given it, we've received it. Another implication is this, that we want to help others find that, right? We want to help them find full life. And we believe it happens in Christ, in community, and on mission. We'll, we'll talk about this, and we'll continue to bang the drum of this mission uh, over the coming weeks and months. But this is why we exist, not just to enjoy full life, but to help others find full life. Amen? This is why we exist, to be rescuers, to help people. But there's, there's a key understanding underneath all of this, and it's this, that we are simply instruments, that we are instruments, that God is the one who does the work. Okay, so if, if, how many of you ever played an instrument in your life? A good number of you? Okay, so my son played the sax. Last year. And what you know about the sax is the saxophone has no life in itself, right? It takes someone with a lot of hot air putting their <laughs> lips on that thing and blowing really awkwardly, right? Breathing life into it. And when the, the saxophonist breathes into that, sound comes out. Sometimes bad sound, all right? Hopefully it improves and it becomes not just sound, but music, right? This is, this is who we are. We are instruments. No life of our own, but God does the work. He breathes in and through us, and he uses us. But make no mistake, God is the one who breathes into and out through us. God is the one who does the work. God is the one who draws people. God is the one who changes hearts. And God uses us to do that, but he is the one who does all the heavy lifting, right? And so because of that, here's our first priority. As the people of God, our first priority is to pray. It's to pray. Because I, in all of my eloquence, and not so much eloquence, and all of that, I can't change people's hearts. I can't convince people to give their life to Jesus I can't, in my own strength, give people hope. God is the one who does that. And so your priority, my priority, is to to pray. It's to pray. And so let me give you the bottom line this morning. The bottom line is this. The bottom line is talk to Jesus about people and talk to people about Jesus. Talk to Jesus. When we talk about evangelism and sharing our faith, a lot of times we just, we we play the card of, hey, go tell people about Jesus. Go tell them about hope. We need to do that. Here's what I'm, I'm, I'm telling us this morning. Our priority, before we ever talk to people about Jesus, we need to talk to Jesus about people because he's the one that draws them. He is the one that changes them. And so why are we going to go in our own strength and try to tell people about Jesus when God is the one who goes before us? God is the one who works in the heart to draw people to himself. And so this morning, we're going to talk about this passage in Ephesians chapter six. You may have read this many times, may be familiar with it, because when we talk about this idea of sharing our faith with people, really what we're talking about is spiritual warfare. Like we're entering into spiritual battle. And I'm reminded of that this morning when I get up and my microphone is flat. You know what I'm saying? that the enemy doesn't care about what we're going to talk about, and his goal is to steal and kill and destroy. He's trying to choke the word of God out. And so, hey, let me take the microphone. Listen, the enemy's going to have to do a lot more than take my microphone away to keep us from talking about Jesus. Amen? We're talking about it, and our priority is to pray, 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 pray. We're talking about spiritual warfare. So I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, we're not going to dive into a lot of this, but I want to set the context for a couple verses here. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He doesn't say be strong on your own, muster up some strength. He says be strong in the Lord and in his strength, the power of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Okay, so the context is battle. We're going into war here. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This this isn't a physical battle, y'all, but it's against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Paul says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. And begins to talk about this armor of God. He says in verse 14, "...stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can ex- extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one." Verse 17, "...and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying... Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Making supplication for all the saints. Verse 19. And also for me, Paul says, that words may be given to me. And opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I'm an ambassador in chains. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is Paul's prayer. And I want you to know something. He is, he is literally sitting in a Roman prison, penning these words. And he's asking the, the Ephesian believers to pray for him. But you know what he's praying? Asking them to pray for it. He's not saying, hey, pray that God would open these prison doors so that I could get out of this place. You know what he's saying? Pray that God would open my mouth boldly so that I could tell people about Jesus. He said, He's not saying, God, get me out of this place. He said, God, you put me here to be a witness and to be a light in this darkness. So, God, would you open my mouth? Would you help me to speak boldly? You know, sometimes we're stuck in our situations. We're in a class or a job or a home or a, a relationship, and we're like, God, get me out of this. This is miserable. Would you just pull me out of this? And God is saying, No, no, no. I put you there as a light, I set you in that place to be a witness. Don't pray that God would, that I would get you out of it. Pray that I would open your mouth boldly. Not to be like, well, you know, I, I, I kind of want to tell you about this Jesus. I think you might be interested. I don't know. You may not be. You may, you may be totally cool, but I, I think I have something you might be. No, no, no. Boldly. I believe there's life in Jesus, and so I want to give it to you. And Paul is saying, pray that God would open my mouth, that words would be given to me. And you know what, so he, he, he walks through this passage and he talks about spiritual battle and there's a lot of weapons that are mentioned here. Actually, it's, it's, it's armor. It's a lot of defensive armor, right? You see in this passage, you see him talking about a belt and a breastplate and shoes and a shield and a, a, a helmet, okay? Those aren't offensive weapons, right? You don't typically take your helmet off and launch it at someone, right? That's unless you're an angry football player who needs to be yanked off the field. You don't use, these are defensive weapons or armor, There's only one offensive weapon mentioned here. Did you catch what it is? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the only thing. And I want want to read again verses 19 and 20, what Paul says here. He says, also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Here's what I want to propose are what I would call our weapons of rescue this morning. Because we look through this passage and most of us would go, the word of God, the sword, that is, that is the offensive weapon. I want to propose that there's, there's two kind of weapons here. It's not just the sword or the spirit, but it's prayer. And here's, here's how I want to word it. Our weapons of rescue are this. Pray the word, proclaim the word. Pray the word, proclaim the word. And again, this, is, this has to do with talking to Jesus about people. And then talking to people about Jesus. These are our weapons. You see, sometimes some of us get intimidated when we talk about prayer because we feel like, man, I've got to come up with these like, really eloquent words, right? That are going to stir people up or you know, stir up God and, and going to impress people. Now, listen, prayer isn't about stirring up people. It's, prayer isn't about conjuring up some eloquent words. In fact, I think the most powerful prayers... ...that are ever said are prayers that take God's words and make them your own. Praying God's words. It's not me trying to create something. You know, when you pray God's word, when you read through God's word and you pray that kind of back to him... ...you know what I know when I pray God's word is that he wants to answer those prayers... ...because he's already spoken those words. And so here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. I mean, it's really simple this morning. It's really basic... But I want to give us some prayers out of the word of God to help us to know how to pray for our one. To pray for people. To talk to Jesus about people. And so I want to give us a few things here. So the first thing is this. Talk to Jesus about people. Let me give you five quick prayers. I'm going to give you a quick prayer and a scripture. And then at the end of this, we're going to take some time to pray. We're going to go into battle this morning. All right. So here's the first prayer, talking to Jesus about people. Lord, draw them. Lord, draw them. And these are all in the U Version notes. If you download the Bible app, you go to the More tab, Events. You'll find Friendship Baptist there. All of these notes will be there, um, and they'll be online this week as well. The first prayer is this Lord, draw them. John 6, Jesus says this. This is what we've already talked about. Jesus says, no no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me does what? Draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. You know what he says? Your your eloquent words, your convincing sales pitch is never going to win anybody to Jesus. They only come to Jesus when God draws them. God does the work. So Lord, I'm praying that you would draw them that you God would do what I can't do that you would draw them here's another prayer and these all kind of flow together okay Lord open their eyes Lord open their eyes 2nd Corinthians 4 verses 4 to 6 here's what Paul says speaking of those that, that don't know God he says in their case the God of this world speaking of God's enemy. Satan, the devil. In their case, the God of this world has done what? Blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, why? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul says. There is a reality with everybody who has not yet placed their faith in Jesus. There's spiritual blinders that they have on, that the enemy has put over their spiritual eyes or their heart. Okay, have you ever seen um, a horse with blinders on? Okay, We've lived in several areas where there's, there's a high concentration of Amish folks. Okay, have you ever seen an Amish like horse and buggy? And you have like the horse who's going down the road with these blinders on. So like they can't look to the left or the right. They're like focused straight ahead. This, this, is, this is what the enemy has done for those who haven't yet put their faith in Jesus. He's put blinders on them so they can't see the light of the gospel. They can't see God's hand at work around them. So the reality of this is that we are to shine as light so that, man, we, they can begin to see the light of the glorious gospel. And so the prayer is this. Lord, would you open their eyes because unless you do that, they'll never see your goodness. They'll never see your power unless, God, you do the work of opening their spiritual eyes so that they could see. And so pray for your one. Lord, open their eyes. Here's a third prayer. Very similar, but Lord, open their heart. Open their heart. Don't just help them to see, but open their heart to receive you, to believe in you. In Acts 6.14, the story of a young woman named Lydia in the earlier church, it says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Don't miss this part. It says, The Lord did what? Opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Here's the deal. You can hear the Bible preached. You can hear somebody talk about God and his love. You can sit in church all day long, every week, for years. But unless God opens your heart to pay attention, to be receptive to what he is saying, you're never going to come to freedom in Christ. Lord, open their heart You're the one who works in the heart. You're the one who changes. You're the one who puts people in situations where their heart is receptive to what you're doing. And so, Lord, would you open their heart? You know, as you pray for your one, maybe they're going through it. And, man, they just want to get out of that situation. And your prayer could be, God, in the midst of their difficulty and their struggle, would you open their heart? that they wouldn't write you off, but they would be open to whatever it is you're doing to try to draw them to you and to your goodness and to your rescue. Lord, open their heart. Here, here's a fourth prayer. Lord, convict them. Lord, convict them. John 16, verse 8. Jesus, speaking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus says he, he's gonna go away and then the Holy Spirit is gonna come. Verse 8 verse eight. And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, here's what he's going to do. He will what? Convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. He grips our hearts. He convicts us. Sometimes we know we're in sin. We know we've done wrong. And sometimes we're like, "Eh, I'll do better next time. And sometimes, man, the Holy Spirit of God grabs hold of our heart and will not let go until we surrender. And so God, open their eyes to who you are. Open their hearts. And God, convict them of their sin. Convict them of their sin against you. Convict them of your righteousness and my need for you and your righteousness. Convict them of the judgment that is to come. God, would you convict their hearts? Would you grab a hold of them and not let go? Because you're the only one who can do that. And so, Lord, draw them. Open their eyes. Lord, open their heart. Lord, convict them. Let me give you one more. Lord, grant them repentance. Grant them repentance. And 2 Timothy 2 Paul says this to his young pastor, Timothy, speaking of engaging in these conversations with others and those who even oppose the gospel. He says in verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Here's here's the truth I want you to catch. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him, to do his will. Here is the spiritual imagery or the reality that we see here is that everyone who doesn't know Jesus has been caught in a trap, in a snare by the enemy who has a hold of them and is just playing with them to do as he pleases. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, man, perhaps God would grant them repentance, that they would wake up And come to their senses. So that you could help pull them out of that snare. But listen. God is the one who grants repentance. You know what repentance is? It's a change of thinking. That leads to a change of heart. That leads to a change of direction. It's turning from my way. And my sin. To God's way. And God's God's righteousness. And his path. It's repenting. It's turning from one direction to another. And God is the one who grants that. Listen. Have any of you ever prayed for somebody or hoped that God would intervene in their life to bring them the faith in Jesus? And for whatever reason, you almost doubt that it's ever going to happen. I have somebody, a family member in my life, that I'm just like, there's no way that they're ever going to open their heart to God. They are so hard-hearted towards God. There's no way they're ever gonna come to repentance. And you know what I'm reminded of this morning as we look at this verse? That God can give repentance to even the hardest heart. He can do that because it's not up to me. It's not up to you. He is the one who gives repentance. Does he use us to shine the light? Does he use us to give the gospel? Absolutely, but God is the one who grants repentance repentance and so i'm praying god for my one that you would give them repentance to turn from their sin and to turn to you and so the prayers when we talk about talking to jesus about people lord draw them lord open their eyes lord open their hearts lord op- lord convict them lord grant them repentance those are those are prayers those are weapons of rescue. But I want to talk for a minute about talking to people about Jesus. And we're just going to spend a minute here, a couple minutes, because we're going to hit this next week. Okay, next week we're going to talk about the how to have co- conversations, gospel conversations. We're going to give away next week. I know next week is Labor Day weekend, so sometimes people are traveling. I want to encourage you to be here. We're going to give away a tool. I mean, not like a table saw or anything like that, but like... A- <laughs> A gospel tool, like a way to have conversations, and we're going to kind of help stir that up and try to provide you with how do I, what, what do I actually say? How do I get into a gospel conversation? And we're going to be really practical about this next week. I'm going to try to break out the, the whiteboard and, and, and try to walk through some stuff with y'all. Um, but but let, me, let me give you a couple prayers that we can be praying about how to talk to people about Jesus. Here, here's the first one. Lord, open doors. Lord, open doors. Colossians four: three and four. Man, you see Paul, who was this incredible evangelist, right? He was a man on fire for God, and here was his prayer. He, he was asking, seeking for the church to pray for him in this regard. He says in Colossians four, "At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us, a what? A door for the word." to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Here's what he's praying for. God, would you open the door so that I could share the gospel, so that I could point to Jesus. You know, when I think of evangelism, sometimes I think of like door to door, okay? I think of like banging on somebody's door or coming to like swat them with a Bible or something, you know what I'm talking about, and like trying to, here's what we tend to do with evangelism. We try to like, like kick in the door, right? Like I got to tell them about Jesus, so there's this guilt trip on me that my pastor put on me, so I've got to like kick in the door to try to get the gospel to these people. And here's what Paul says, pray for me that God would open a door. I mean, sometimes, listen, sometimes God swings a door wide open and says, Come right on in. They need to hear what you have. But sometimes, you know what? He cracks it open. And and I know this is true of me, and I'm sure it's true of you. Have you ever come out of a conversation and kicked yourself, just going, oh, my goodness. There was an opportunity for me to invite them to church or tell them about Jesus, and I totally blew it. Have you ever had that? All the time. Why? It's because God cracked open a, a door, and I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't ready for it. And so when we pray that God would open doors, you know what that that does? It helps us to to ask God to be the one to open them, and it helps us to be aware and perceptive and be looking for doors, even just the slightest crack to open. So, man, I could shine the light of the gospel through that crack. Maybe just starting a conversation. Maybe just inviting them to church. God, would you open doors would you open doors here's a a second prayer lord give me boldness how many of y'all need this prayer (laughs) amen lord give me boldness give me boldness because you know what the truth is we know what boldness is about if you like the gamecocks you know what boldness is about right if you like clemson you've got some boldness you are you are not shy about your your team right I heard the amen earlier. Don't try to act all quiet like, I don't know what you're talking about. I heard the biggest amen this morning was football season is back in. Amen. (laughs) That is boldness. But when it comes to our faith, we ain't so bold, are we? And this is why we've got to pray and ask God. This isn't about, hey, let me fire you up so that you can become more bold about your faith. No, this is God, would you give me boldness? Because there's nothing in myself that's going to stir that up. It's only your spirit working in me It's going to give me boldness to speak the way I ought to speak. I forgot my Buckeyes in the room. Amen. Go Bucs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we got a week before football season starts for us. Lord, give me boldness. You all are like, you're bold to talk about the Buckeyes in South Carolina. All right. I am. I am. I am. <laughs> Ephesians 6. Paul, we saw this in verse 19 and 20. He says, Also for me, that words may be given to me and opening in my mouth, how? Boldly, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it how? Bold. Boldly. When I read the words of Paul, I'm like, This was the most bold dude on the planet. And what is he doing? Twice in this passage, in this letter, he's saying, Pray for me that I would be bold. To share my faith you know what that tells me it wasn't him it wasn't his strength and his power it was the holy spirit in him let me give you another verse acts 4 31 man i love this the early church it says when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the holy spirit and continued to speak the word of god with what boldness, boldness. how did they have boldness it's because they prayed they prayed and God gave them, man, they're filled with the Holy Spirit in boldness. God, give us boldness to speak, to shine. Let me give you one last prayer. And we're going to pray these together. Lord, give me your words. Give me your words. You saw in verse 19, we were just there. Paul said, also for me, would you pray that words may be given to me? God, would you give me your words? Here's here's another passage, Matthew 10, 19, and 20. The, The context here, Jesus talking to his disciples about when persecution comes, how to handle that. There's a principle I want us to see here. Matthew 10, 19, and 20. Jesus says, When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Here's the principle. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And Here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't prepare, don't study, get yourself ready. Here's what I'm saying. God wants to speak through you. And if we would ask him, he'd do it. Lord, give me your words. God, would you speak through me? Man, I'm not so good with words. God, would you help me? Would you do something supernatural through me? Because I want to share the light of the gospel with others. And so this morning, we're talking about taking the gospel to people. It's spiritual warfare, y'all. When I look at that passage, sometimes we think about spiritual warfare, and it's, we're putting on this armor to protect ourselves, to keep ourselves safe. No, no. Spiritual warfare isn't about keeping yourself safe. Spiritual, putting on spiritual armor for spiritual warfare is about going on a rescue mission. It's not putting on all this to protect me. It's so that I can go into the fire and pluck people out of the grip of hell. This is what spiritual warfare is about. It's about being on a rescue mission. Our weapons of rescue, pray the word, proclaim the word and so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to lead us into battle. I want to lead us into battle. I want to be a people who fight for the souls of others. You know how we we fight for their souls? You know how we do that? On our knees. God would you draw them. Would you open their eyes? Would you open their hearts? Would you convict them? Would you grant them repentance? I just want to invite you into the battle this morning.